a lot of it was like we would have random enterprise customers that were like, we need this thing or like we're interested in X and we would just chase it. Some of it was like vision oriented for sure. And particularly the things we denied, I would say were vision oriented. But a lot of it was actually just someone was like, we need this thing and then we'll pay for it. And we were like, we'll design something abstract that does that. I would say the biggest thing maybe that I've learned from building the first MVP and then obviously the second product now is never really tailor making anything, just always making it very abstract so that at least it has like universal applicability. My name is Kyle Carberry. I'm co-founder and CTO at Coder. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried to begin. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, help Kyle Carberry built your self-hosted remote development platform so you can shift development from the local machine to the cloud. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Kyle Carberry grew up in a very small town in Saskatchewan, Canada. He was always into tech, but mainly the pirating side of things on his dial-up internet connection. He got into programming when he got his first Xbox and started modding it, followed by Minecraft servers and building tools for the internet. But outside of tech, he just moved to New York and prefers the hustle and bustle over the small town quiet. Kyle and his co-founder had the abstract idea that eventually people won't be coding on their laptops. Sort of by accident, they started in by building a consumer-friendly version of their current venture, but quickly pivoted to the enterprise and took off. This is the creation story of Coder.com. Coder is a self-hosted remote development platform. What that really means is if you start coding a large enterprise, you might use Coder and you essentially click one button and you have a development environment that's ready to code. We're very akin to products like Codespaces. We're self-hosted in that regard, so we really particularly target enterprise and like large enterprise by that name. I like to think that a lot of people start these things by accident, but I don't know if that's actually true. Maybe we're just both of those. We started with really with like the abstract idea that like 10 years from now, people probably won't be coding on their laptops. 
So we started with a consumer platform where people would sign up and get a development environment instantly. And then we eventually pivoted towards enterprise. So what I really want to dive into is the MVP. So tell me about the MVP, that first version of the product. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? There's like a funny thing in our space where there's like a graveyard of products that have totally failed. And so the actual MVP of Coder no longer exists in any form or function to the way that the product you download today. The first version of Coder was a consumer platform. You go on coder.com. That took us about a year to build and everything else in the company cascaded from that. I would say it took a little bit less than a year to build. The tools we used, it was mostly just like Go and TypeScript, but it was like built in a really like naive and remarkably ambitious way, which came to bite us. That product doesn't exist today, and none of the code that we wrote for it exists today. But yeah, we had many different MVPs for the product that does exist today. That was the first one. Interesting. Okay, so with that first one, then you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right, around how you build it. And you know, there's there's decisions that you make that might lead to the graveyard, right? But you got to make those decisions and trade-offs around how you're going to approach it, and how do you build that minimum product? So tell me about some of those and how you coped with those decisions. I'm going to pivot this answer and I'll talk about the first MVP that we made. If that's okay, I'll talk about the second one, which is for the product that we currently have. First one we made, Noah, was honestly just so out there. I was like 20 and so was Amar and we were just building just like the most insane stuff. And it it wasn't, it wasn't particularly tailored (laughs) to be like an MVP. The, the decisions we made around kind of the MVP of the product that exists today, like really, I would say we primarily just do like the abstract value and try to like harness that. I know it's a terrible answer, but um, there are a lot of extremities that like people ask you to build. And it took us a long time to understand like what things people actually need us to build in order to use the product and, and gain a lot of value from it. I don't know. I have a, I have a bad answer for MVP because we never made like a pure bare bones MVP. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks' level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks Solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names... 
Only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5 terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. So then call, you know, the the second MVP version kind of where you're starting to get traction, right? How did you progress from that point? How did you mature it? And I think what I'm curious about there is roadmap. Like, how did you build your roadmap and decide this is the next most important thing to build or to address or to add into coder.com? This is like a an, maybe an immature product answer, but I think a lot of it, at least for us, was not sophisticated at all. A lot of it was like we would have random enterprise customers that were like, we need this thing or like we're interested in X and we would just chase it. Some of it was like vision oriented for sure. And particularly the things we denied, I would say were vision oriented. But a lot of it was actually just someone was like, we need this thing and then we'll pay for it. And we were like, we'll design something abstract that does that. I would say the biggest thing maybe that I've learned from building the first MVP and then obviously the second product now is never really tailor making anything, just always making it very abstract so that at least it has like universal applicability. So I can actually tell you one that we did just a couple of weeks ago. Our customer is Skydio. Our contact there, his name's Elliot. Love Elliot. He wanted a little feature inside of Coder Workspaces where someone could just type Slack me, space a command, and it would send them a Slack message once the command is done. So they could like go get a coffee or like 15 minutes later, whatever their like long build is finished running. Great feature request, but very like specific. And like we don't want every customer that doesn't use Slack, for example, to be like we optionally integrate with Slack. And so the way we integrated that is by hooking in with like any OAuth provider, for example, and like just allowing you to programmatically do it via like our CLI and making it really simple. And so I would say that that's an example where there's something that was like very particularly pointed. And now we'll have integrations with like 1Password and Okta and like a bunch of these external services that also use OAuth that'll benefit way more of our customers than just one. How did you factor in? So this one, you know, company, Elliot, is asking for this thing. How did you factor in how it would apply to the rest of the rest of your customer base? First of all, I made it abstract and then I shared our general like feature page for it. We have it on our, our registry. And I just shared it with a couple of customers. And we have internal Slack channels with all of our customers for the ones that use Slack the least. Some of them we just have to talk to over email. But for a bunch of them I just went in the Slack channel and I was just like, hey. You guys obviously use Slack. I'm curious if your devs are interested in this. And some of them bought, some of them bit, and and some of them didn't so much. But that's generally how I find like the more broad applicability for it. So tell me about team. How did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? I'm I'm maybe going to have a weird answer here, but I would say we look for weird people. I wanted to put on our hiring page, we hire freaks, but... No one is a big fan of that, obviously. <laughs> I really believe that like, you want to have a weird outcome. You need to do weird things and you need to hire weird people that are willing to do the weird things. One of my just like core hiring philosophies, is I want someone to just be like exactly who they are and be very comfortable being super weird, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I'll give you an example. Take a poke fun at Rob. So Amar and I hired Rob, who's the CEO of Coder. And in like our first Zoom meeting and every Zoom meeting we have with Rob, 
Rob always has his cats in his office and they always walk in front of his camera. And it's weird, but it's awesome. <laughs> and I love it. And like that type of just like weirdness is what at least I personally found just the most fun in working with. And I think it's really hard to find normal people that produce weird outcomes. And I think everyone has some weird in them, but I really look for the weird people that are super comfortable being weird. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place. And if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names... Only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Let's flip to scalability. And, and I'm curious, you know, based on what you've said, I could kind of maybe have an inkling of where you're going to go with this, but I, I want to know your story here. Did you build this with scale in mind or to scale efficiently from day one? Or, you know, what areas were you having to fight it as you grew? So our architecture totally supports scale to like really big numbers, but like no organization has over, we'll call it like 50,000 engineers max. And so like supporting 50,000 engineers in the service isn't that like insane, right? Like if you have like 50,000 users on your SaaS or something, it's not like that crazy. And so I would say we built it particularly tailored to that level of scale. The point coder is like super simple. We package it as like a single static binary, completely isolated. It doesn't even use like Seago or anything of that nature. We primarily built it for just portability and deployment ease. And so no, we weren't actually fighting it really as we've continued to grow at all, just because it's like super simple. It's like single service, just needs Postgres, very basic to deploy. What about organization scalability? So tell me a little bit about that. How have you been able to either fight that or plan for that? I don't know. That's a really hard one, to be honest. And I'm not sure I've faced the full brunt of that yet. I would say it's weird 
being at the company and just having people that I don't know necessarily, <laughs> but it's good, obviously, because I trust their managers and, and by proxy, I trust them. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I really pride myself on writing really good software. <laughs> and I really pride our company on writing really good software. Not all of our software is really good. Of course, there's some bits and pieces of the code base that I'm sure are just atrocious that slide through, but I think for the most part, our software is pretty good. I'm really proud of that, and it's idiomatic. It feels like a Unixy tool, and that's like one of our core philosophies in the company and something that like our entire engineering team and I think that like philosophy really goes across our whole company, even in like sales and transparency and marketing. And I'm really proud of that. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So there's a lot with customers. They're not fatal mistakes, but just things early on where we like drop the ball or would have a very simple bug in the product. I would say maybe one that people can relate to is when you have these very small things that are seemingly really easy to fix and the engineering team just doesn't seem to do them. I would say a mistake that, that I've made just like historically even in like managing those things is understanding how to get these things done really efficiently. It's really hard to like mobilize an engineering team on things that nobody really wants to do. And so I would say a mistake I made was actually trying to manage an engineering team when that's like not one of my strong suits. I would say controversially that I'm maybe not a 10x engineer, but I'm one of those X engineers. And I'm not better at managing X number of people better than I am myself. And so I would say one of the things that a big mistake I made early on was trying to be that person or thinking that's like how I make significant impact in the organization is becoming this like manager of people um, and having a bunch of people under me. I think the team was just like, Kyle, you're not a good manager. <laughs> I code a lot and I love writing software and I care more about quality than anything else. This will be fun to ask. What, what does the future look like for Coder.com, the product, and for your team? So there's three phases that I imagine. The first one is particularly tailored towards organizations. Uh, let an organization control all the development environments. Move the local development environment into the cloud. The reason I say local or like your local laptop, your local laptop's actually fantastic. And for you as an individual, I would never want to get rid of it. I code all the time on my M2 Mac. It's like amazing. And I also don't want to compete with Apple as a company. They're you know, obviously crazy. So the future really holds like step one, replacing like that local laptop. That's maybe not as efficient as it needs to be inside of an organization to something that's like more automated and streamlined and standardized. I think phase number two is really like enhancing that experience that you're in the cloud now with these like really amazing additional tools inside of your development environment. Stuff even that's super basic, like the little Slack me thing that I mentioned and like being able to standardize that in an org is just really cool. Being able to see what commands take the most amount of time to execute across your entire organization is really cool. To be like, hey, your team actually spends 20 hours a week running Lint, <laughs> which is crazy cumulatively. And so maybe let's spend some time to reduce that. And then I think the third phase is really entirely allowing developers to sit in this loop entirely by themselves. I don't know exactly how we're going to do that third thing yet, but I think it's something that we'll have to attack in a couple of years. What I mean by that is like, particularly in a lot of enterprises, if say like a new version of Go comes out, it's like months and months and months before, and maybe even years before people can actually use it inside of their projects. 
And I think the dream for developer and the dream for some of these companies is to be able to attract the best developers. And that's really hard when you have these security policies that say, sorry, we can only use four-year-old versions of Go. And like the best developers don't want that. They're like, I want to work in org where I'm on the cutting edge. And so I think aligning more of those organizations with being able to standardize these processes is the long-term where it goes so that developers control their own kind of inner outer loop, everything in between. Okay, Kyle, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I would say like someone that I admire some aspects of is, is, which this is a very cliche and basic answer, but it's fine. The way that like Elon Musk builds in public, I really admire. And I think that that building in public is like really hard and maybe it doesn't actually build in public and just gives me this facade, but that's also fine. I really believe in putting your cards on the table and letting operational excellence speak to the way that you win. And so anyone that honestly just really does that, I am really engaged with generally. And I think societally we'll see a lot more of that long-term. I I respect the like good and the bad coming out because you at least get some insight into the way these people think. I really admire that. Okay, so we talked about a mistake earlier. This is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It didn't have to be something that didn't work. could have even worked well, but maybe you tweak it a little bit. Maybe some like advice I would give to myself back in the day is, which I know this isn't an exact question, but I would say just like, do things faster and like don't be as scared about breaking things, particularly inside your own organization. But I think it's human, and I think, like, understanding that, like, by disrupting these things, you you also create potential for amazing things to occur. It's really real. Maybe something I would do differently is honestly just break more things inside even our own company. Okay, last question, Kyle. You're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? So when we launched our open source project, it's called CodeServer. It's like a really basic Unix tool at this point. It just like puts VS Code in the browser, wraps VS Code. And it's like a standardized utility. Something that we had, it was like the number one fastest growing project on GitHub at one point, I think in like 2019. When you create something that's popular everyone in the world wants to join what is viewed as like a rocket ship and so i would give advice to be very cautious because it's really bad filtering there's not a single person in the world that doesn't want to join a company that's going to the moon or perceptibly doing so and so you have to be like really careful in hiring when things are going exceptionally well in your company because you never know and and you never know the true intent of why people are there so i would say that's probably it is like the people want to talk to you Everyone wants to talk to you when things are exceptionally good. And that's maybe when I would slow hiring the most, honestly, is when the company's rocket shipping the most. And it's not to say these are bad people. It's just to say that people will mold themselves for the right opportunity. <laughs> and that mold may not always fit what either party can believe. If you're like, hey, Kyle, do you want to be my co-host for a podcast for a billion dollars a year? <laughs> I would be like, of course, I'm the best co-host you could possibly find. You know, and I might sell you just like a completely BS script on my persona. And, and that happens obviously on about a couple of smaller scales. But That's yeah. great advice. Well, Kyle, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Coder.com. Appreciate you having me now. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. 
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.